So today we're going to start a new series entitled Transforming Grace. Transforming Grace. And as we are diving into this series, grace is one of, those, uh, one of the commodities. I look at it as a commodity from God. It's not something that's static. I mean, there's entirely too many verses where we're told to be strong in grace, to grow in grace, and to abound in grace. And So we have a part to play in it as far as the, being recipients of the grace of God that's made available to us. It's not just something that's static that everyone has, a, has a, an equal amount of it. Uh, we are invited to come to the throne of God's grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. So just from those few references, I just quickly quote it right now that we can see that we have a part to play in how much of God's grace we partake in in our own lives, how strong we become in it, how, how manifest it is in our own lives. And, and so we have a part to play in it, but yet it seems, it, it, it can seem like it's just kind of static and it's kind of, well, I have it or I don't have it or that person has more than I do or that person's more graceful than I am, that person's more gifted than I am. It's important that we don't take that particular posture but recognize that grace is available to us from the very throne of God's, of God's grace and it's up to you and it's up to me that, that we continue to grow in it and, and that we experience the transforming power of grace in our lives. So you, you're here this morning you're a born-again child of God. You're a follower of Christ. At some point in your story, you received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. That was a very significant moment in time in your story when you received, by grace through faith, the gift of God. You received the gift of eternal life. And that is the most significant transformation we will ever receive. At that moment, we came from darkness to light from death to life, a very significant transformation. The Apostle Paul refers to it as having been made a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So it's a very significant milestone in our lives. It's an experience of the grace of God. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. So we didn't work for it. We didn't strive it. We simply heard about it. Our hearts warmed to it. We received it, confessed it, and we received it into our lives in a very significant transformation. You were a non-Christian. Now you're a Christian. Your eternal destiny changed from eternity apart from God to an eternity promised of being with God. But now that that transformation has taken place, that very first step has taken place, we are to continue, continually be transformed. Everyone say transformed. So there's a continual process to, that is to be taking place in our lives, and that's what we're going to be focusing on primarily, how, how that is going to continue to be played out in our lives. And two of the foundational verses I want to share with you this morning are in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Then also 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. So let's begin with Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. And it's interesting here, we're just kind of diving in here at chapter 12, kind of towards the end of the chapter here. It's kind of like, you know, coming into a movie as the movie's almost over. But, you know, uh, prior to this, the Apostle Paul is spending uh, a lot of time in writing to the church at Rome, really... Uh, just encouraging them and, and, and teaching them and just really getting them to open up and warm up to the reality of who they are in Christ Jesus, that, they're no longer, that we're no longer under the law, but we're now under grace. We're no, we are no longer unrighteous, but we are now the righteousness of God. Our access to God and a way to please God is not, no longer by the law, but now we are 
under grace. We're no longer under law, but we are now under grace. So we're under a new, cover, a new government, a new dispensation, and it's known as, as the grace of God. And, so, uh, and he spends a lot of time contrasting the old and the new. We get here to chapter 12, he's beginning to wrap things up, and he says, now, having just heard and just having just read everything that you've read, I want to encourage you, or the New King James says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Then verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. Then he goes on and tells us, By the renewing of the mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we have a, it's an ongoing process. We're born again, but now our relationship with God is no longer law-based. It is now grace-based. But now that we're under a, a grace-based relationship with God, it's important that we continue to uh, uh, be transformed. And the key to that is by the renewing of our mind. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So it's interesting here that in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, it says we are being transformed, implying that it's God's doing, it's the Spirit's doing, we're kind of you know, neutral in it. But in Romans, it says, don't be conformed, but be transformed, implying that it's our responsibility. And so either way that you want to look at it, the, the, the key that we need to recognize here is that the verb transformed is in the present tense in both of these verses, and it means, that, and it's implying here, teaching us that it's, it's to be a continuous, a continuous growth pattern in the word of the Lord, a, a continuous growth pattern in the grace of Almighty God, and that we are to continually experience transformation in our lives. I think most of us can remember the, the science class from grade school of observing the, the metamorphosis of the caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly, you know, capturing the caterpillar and putting it in a jar and feeding it whatever, uh, leaves or whatever we fed it with. And, and I remember being so proud that you know, I, I thought, I know this already. Of course, I thought that a lot through school. I already know this. But I grew up on a farm, so I've experienced caterpillars spinning into a cocoon and then breaking out of the cocoon and the butterfly. I've observed that on numerous occasions. So by the time we're experiencing this in school, you know, that's been there, done that. But nonetheless, most of us, you know, many people that first experienced that may have been in, in elementary school where you, where you had that in your class. You observed the metamorphosis of the caterpillar into a butterfly. And that's what that's talking about. It's talking about transformation. It's, it's, it's a metamorphosis. It's a change, and transformation is very liberating, very liberating. If you just take a moment and reflect on the caterpillar, how it's so earthbound. It's so earthbound. And then when it experiences the fullness of the metamorphosis of the transformation, it's no longer earthbound. We were bound by the law, but when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're no longer bound by the law. We're now under the grace of God. We're now free. A butterfly is free to flutter, is free to fly, it's free to go about, and, and, just, and, and it becomes very beautiful, and it's also free. But the question begs to be asked, 
You know, it's one thing to watch a caterpillar spin into its little cocoon and then just there's a process of time when it appears like absolutely nothing is happening. How many people feel like that in their spiritual life? You know, okay, I'm born again. I'm spinning into a cocoon here, and I know there's a transformation taking place, but it sure is not visible. I'm not seeing anything happen, but my encouragement is be patient. Be patient. Things are happening, and one day you're going to break out, and you're going to experience the fullness of the transformation. So the question is, can we as people really change? Can we really change? Can people really change or are we forever locked into whatever patterns nature and nurture left us with in our childhood? Is it really possible for me and for you to see a new reality created in our lives? You know, we're prone to become creatures of habit. The flesh is the flesh. You know, the weakness of the law, and Paul, one of the teachings that Paul brings out in Romans is that the weakness, the weakness of the law is the flesh, meaning, you know, just the, the, the natural man, meaning we can't live up to it. That's the weakness of it. It had all these high standards that we couldn't measure up to, we couldn't live up to. And so, but, but can we really change? And if you're like me, you've experienced change in some areas and it felt like it was temporary. It's a short time later, right back to the same mindset, the same thinking, the same actions as what I had before. So can we experience a consistent new reality? Can it be created in our lives? And can we really change? And if so, how? How do we change? How do we change? Well, in our culture today, there's always advertisements about change. There's all types of uh, uh, cosmetic surgeries available, teeth whitening, cosmetic surgeries. There's diet, there's exercise, there's gym memberships. Uh, gym memberships don't work unless you actually use them. <laughs> but uh, just, just saying, I, I read in a financial magazine some years ago that one of the biggest, one of the budget busters that people experience is that they get excited about their New Year's resolution, they join a gym membership, and then two months later they stop using it and still keep paying the membership. So it's one of those areas where, where's my money going to? But anyway, that, that's another message. We won't go down that road today. It's something you might want to consider changing, though. <laughs> so most importantly, whatever the area of transformation you may be thinking of, the most important transformation that we're talking about here when it comes to transforming grace is not an outward transformation, but inward. Is our mind being renewed? Are our attitudes changing? Are we becoming more Christ-like? Can we really continue? And then can we really continue to grow in the grace of God and continue to experience transformation? And how does that take place? Well, in Romans 12, 2, we looked at it. It's by, uh, by be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So any transformation that you're, you're going to embark on, tr uh, transforming grace that you're going to begin developing in your lives, all transformation must be grace-based. If transformation occurs by our own energies, by our own efforts, it's something that we create and we come up with, it will only last as long as we put the effort into it. But eventually we become tired, we become weary, we become discouraged, and whatever effort we were putting into changing, like many times at the, at the end of the year, in the beginning of a new year, people talk about turning over a new leaf or New Year's resolutions and so forth, but they're, they're, they're not 
grace-based, and so we start out on it, and then eventually we become weary, tired, discouraged, distracted, and we revert right back to the original habits. But when it's grace-based, it's something that can be lasting. It's something that can be lasting. So when it's grace-based, you're not going to be getting tired. You're not going to become discouraged. And and you're not going to end up right back where you started and feeling even worse than you did before because now you're feeling feeling guilty because you told all these people what you're going to do. And you started doing it for one month, two months, three months, or three years. And then something happened. You got discouraged. And you're right back to being the same person that you were before that you don't like and no one else really likes either. And now you're feeling really bad about it because you said you were going to do it, and you didn't do it. So lasting transformation in your life, grace-based, genuine transformation, is going to begin working in you by the renewing of your mind. And primarily, I want to put it like this, trans- great, genuine transformation comes about in your life by believing. Everyone say, by believing. <laughs> believing right always comes before doing right. See, when we hear about, why well, I need to change. I need to change this or I need to change that. We, we, the natural mind kicks into, what do I need to do? Tell me what to do. Give me some three steps to take, and I'll take those three steps, and, and bam, I'll be renewed. I, I can check that off, and I go on to something else. But that's not the way it's working. The way it's working, a grace-based transformation comes about by believing Yet we struggle, many people struggle, because they really don't believe that believing works. You may be sitting here this morning thinking, yeah, there's some areas that I need to change. There's, you know, when I read Galatians and I read the fruit of the Spirit, I see it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, gentleness, on and on and on, and I, you lost me after you got past love. <laughs> Which one do I need to work on? But yet when we discover, well, I need to work on love, I need to work on joy, I need to work on peace, I need to work on patience, well, well give me an outline, give me, give me some procedures, give me some steps to take here. That's not the right place to start. The right place to start is by taking inventory, do some introspection on what am I believing Am I believing correctly? Am I believing the right things about my God? Do I believe that he is gracious? Do I believe that he is merciful? Do I believe that he is kind? Do I believe that he loves me? Am I believing that? So it starts with believing, not with doing. We want to, we, by nature, want to trust in our doing right. Well, I'm doing the right things. If I do the right steps, then I should have a certain outcome. So believing right comes before doing right and renewing your mind, and, and it comes by, about by renewing your mind by changing what you believe. Turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 6 just for a moment. I want to show you a statement that Jesus made. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 27. He's talking about the the bread from heaven. 
And in, in verse 27, he makes this statement. He says, do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, what shall we do? For example, I must, I guess we could use the word guilty as anyone else, but if, uh, if I'm confronted in an area, let's say uh, patience, you know, you've been very impatient and you really need to work on your patience. Well, my first response to that in my mind is going to be, what do I need to do? Okay, what do I need to do to become more patient? You need to be kinder. What do I need to do to develop kindness? What do I need to do to develop joy? What must I do to be better at this? What must I do? What must I do? And some of it is the, the, the church's own fault. I say the church. I would say the fivefold ministry's own fault because there's a lot of teaching. It's real easy to teach, you know, seven steps to this and seven steps for this and three steps for this, and you follow these steps, and this will be the outcome. Some of it has some merit to it, but when we're talking about transformation, our mind being renewed, being transformed by the grace of God, what am I believing? And here the disciples ask Jesus, he says, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? That sounds good enough, innocent enough, spiritual enough, does it not? I mean, how can you go wrong with asking Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to do the works of God? What must I do? Come on, give me something to do. I'm a hands-on person. If, if, uh, if there's tension between Nancy and me, my, my personality is I, I, I want to do it. I want to fix it. I start doing things. When I, I know I messed up somewhere, and I know, and, you know things aren't as good as they could be. And, and, uh, so I, rather than sitting down and say, what do I need to do, or what do I need to believe, or how have I offended you? Or I start doing things. I mean, I sweep that kitchen floor. I get all the nooks and crannies, and I start doing things. And eventually, Nancy will say, would you please stop doing, and let's just sit down and have a conversation. And we do that with God. We want to do something. We want to do something. And I think it's very innocent here. It's what, what do we need to do? What work should I do to do the works of God? You know, give me something to do. Just tell me what you want. I can do that. I can do that. But to not give me a list and expect me to hear from God, to expect me to believe right, how, can I know if I'm, how do I know if I'm believing right if I don't have a list to check off to make sure that I did everything just right or to prove to you and other people that I am believing the right things? So they ask this question, what shall we do that we may work the works of Christ? The answer in verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. This is the work of God that you do 100 push-ups. You go to church every Sunday morning. You make every prayer meeting. You worship when you come. You never grumble. You never complain. No, he said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Believe in him whom he sent. Stop the doing and start believing. He said, well, Pastor, does that mean I don't have to do anything? No. But you do after you believe right. Because when you're believing right, now you'll be doing right. But if you're not believing right and you're doing in order to please God, you're not doing it right. 
and it's under the law. To trust in your own works to please God is no different than sinning. Neither one of them please God. From a moral standpoint, from a cultural standpoint, the one obviously might be more beneficial than the other, but not when it comes to our relationship with God. I'll probably say a few more statements like that throughout this series that'll jolt your brain cells a little bit. What did he just say? What did he just say? You mean I'm working so hard to please God and my neighbor's a sinner and (laughs) God's not any more happy with me than he is my neighbor? You heard me well. Believing. Our responsibility is is to believe in him whom he sent. Believe in God. Believe in God. I want to leave you this morning with the parable in Matthew chapter 20. It's the parable of the generous landowner. You say, what does that have to do with grace? Well, we'll get there, all right? It's to provoke, provoke you to start thinking and to start believing accurately about our God. Before I read this, I want to tell you about a certain school. In a certain school, there was a, an English teacher that had a typical assortment of students had a handful of the very studious students, obedient students, did their homework and handed in their assignments on time, all the time, and just, you know, just the the A students that every teacher just wishes the whole class would be like that, that, wow, these students are actually paying attention, they're actually doing the, the required homework, and they're turning things in on time, they're very studious, they're very obedient, they're very diligent. Then, like almost any classroom, you have the opposite end of the spectrum, you have a some slackers in there that they're not paying attention, not, never doing the homework, and just, you know, bringing great grief to the teacher. Then, of course, in between those two extremes, you have the rest of the students in there. But this particular teacher was known that when final exam day came about, the studious students did very well in their final exam. They aced the test did great in it. The slackers, obviously, they didn't do so well. They were not prepared at all. They failed miserably. But a few days later, when the grades were posted, everyone's anxious to find out how did we do, how did we do, and they all, you know, went to find out how they did, and the grades were posted, and and lo and behold, everyone received 100%. They all aced it. One group of people was elated. You know which group that was. (laughs) And another group of people was frustrated. How could this be? This is not fair. This is not fair. We worked, we're diligent, we do our homework, we applied ourselves. The rest of the, you know, this this other group did not pay any attention, never did their homework but they got the same grade, got the same grade. 
That's sort of a modern-day version of this parable that I'm going to read. Let's begin reading at verse 1 of Matthew chapter 20. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. Whenever we read the parables and say the kingdom of heaven is like, make note of that. It's giving you an illustration of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, you all do know you live in the, the kingdom of this world. The environment that we are in is the kingdom of this world. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And our goal is just to begin to govern our lives with the government of heaven. But we're living in the kingdom of this world. So remember that. So these parables are teachings of another kingdom, another government, another authority that we're to live by. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. He went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. Now when he, agreed, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them out into the vineyard, and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing out on the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So, he, so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and, vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. You notice he's always saying, whatever is right. Amen. Who's saying that? The landowner's saying it. He's saying, whatever is right, I will give you. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his stewards, call the laborers and give them wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those, and when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and likewise they received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, that the last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne this burden and the heat of the day. And he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me? Notice that. I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. So the question the landowner presents at the end is, don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? In the NIV, it says, don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous. Are you envious because I am generous? Remember, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Now, I know you're hearing this because I'm even reading it this morning. It's my, my natural mind is saying it's just not right. It's not right. The teacher, it's not right. How can you give all the students 100% when, men, when the slackers, they, they didn't participate, they didn't put the effort into it? The laborers that worked all day in the heat, and then the ones that come at the 11th hour get the same. It's not fair. It's not fair. 
the kingdom of heaven is like. Many times, it's in opposition to what the kingdom of this world calls fair. But it's a different kingdom. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. Don't I have a right to do with my money what I want? Or are you envious because I am generous? If you want to kill grace in your life, if you want to stifle transformation in your life, just keep hanging on to envy. It will stifle it. It will stop it. You won't grow. I mean, it just, it just, it's a real roadblock. So make sure that you're free of, of envy at all times. Don't I have a right? Jesus, what I, want you to, what I want to leave you with here this morning, I just want you to ponder it. Don't try to figure this out in your brain. Remember, Jesus said, the, your work, your job this week until next Sunday morning, we'll come back and we'll look into this again, is continually ask yourself, what do I really believe about that situation? What do I really believe about that circumstance? What do I really believe about God concerning my life? What do I really believe about God concerning his will for me? Is it good? Is it really good? Does he have my best interest at heart? What do I really believe is God's will for me concerning my life, concerning your life, concerning our life? Is what, is what I am believing about me, is it in alignment with the word of God? And if I discover that it's not in alignment with the word of God, rather what I've been holding on to dearly, thinking it's the wisdom of God, I have discovered it's the tradition of man. And then when I discover that, I need to be willing to lay it down. Say, Lord, I repent. I've been thinking all this time. I've been believing all this time that this is your wisdom, that this is your will. But now I'm discovering by digging into the word of God, coming to the throne of grace that I might obtain mercy and find grace to help me in the hour of need, all of a sudden mercy and grace is poured out upon me and I have to admit, I have to believe different. I don't deserve this. But I have it. I have it. When it comes to spiritual things, getting what we don't deserve is called the grace of God. You're the slacker in the classroom. You never did your homework. You didn't do anything right. You didn't pay attention. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am what I am. There are some major stories of transformation taking place in people's lives throughout the Word of God. All the people that, that are highlighted in the Word of God, it's the, it's the grace of God. Even when you read the lineage of Jesus, I remember I discovered this some years ago. Reading the lineage of Jesus, I thought, my gosh, this is a very, this is an ugly family tree. I mean, there are some nasty roots in the family tree of Jesus' lineage. There are some really gross, grotesque sin manifested in the family tree. And one day, it came to me that the spotlight when you read, matter of fact, here's what I would think. I'd read the lineage of Jesus, and I'd think, why'd they put that in the Bible? 
you know, it's like our family, our family secrets. Why would you publish that? You know, we're not, we're not proud of this. You know, why, why would you include my uncle in there? That, you know, my crazy uncle, you know, why would you mention him? You know, no one, he's embarrassed. You know, I had one of those uncles and people discover my last name and say, oh, this guy here, he's your uncle. And I'd say, no, <laughs> he's my dad's brother. He's not my uncle. <laughs> so anyway, I, I digress. The, the spotlight is not on the sin in the lineage. The spotlight is on the grace of God. In spite of all the attacks of the enemy coming in on the lineage of Jesus to try to disrupt the family tree, trying to prevent the seed from being manifested at the appropriate time in due season from Jesus our Lord being born of a virgin, God being made manifest in the flesh. Satan was trying to stop that, and he was trying to stop it by attacking this whole lineage, trying to get everything distracted, see if he could break that, because if he could break that and avoid Jesus from being manifested, then he would have the victory. But in spite of all the sin that's manifested in the lineage of Jesus, Jesus was born at the appropriate day, at the appropriate time. The Son of God was manifested, and he conquered death, hell, and the grave. My friends, that is the grace of Almighty God. That's the grace of Almighty God. You say, well, Pastor Ray, I'm embarrassed about this in my past. I'm embarrassed about this, or I'm embarrassed about that. Stop focusing on that and start thinking about, wow, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I'm going to start believing, and I'm going to start believing I'm worthy because the word declares that I have been made worthy through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Not anything in and of myself. But because of Jesus, I am what I am. And that is, my friend, the grace of God. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And that's who we are honoring. That's who we are serving. And that's who we need to start believing right about. What is it you believe about God? Jesus came to manifest God. He's an exact representation of God the Father. Look at the life of Jesus and start believing it. If Jesus said it, believe it. If Jesus did it, do it. Amen. Amen. That is the work. What must I do? You must start by believing right, and then the works will follow after that. Don't set out like I do in natural relationships. If there's tension, I'm going to start fixing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, you know, I mean, the floor can only be swept so clean. And then nothing changes. After it's clean, it doesn't get any cleaner. And, you know, nothing changes. It's still the kitchen floor. And nothing changes. It looks good for a while, but it's going to get dirty again. But when inward change takes place, it's lasting change because it's the grace of God. Back to the parable. I know you thought I forgot about it, but I didn't. Here's what I want you to remember. When you read this and you think about the parable of the school teacher, the parable of the, of the, of the lane owner, is that the operative principle Jesus is teaching here, the operative principle is not works but grace. That's what this parable is. It's simply showing it's not about works. Who did what? How much did you do? How much did you do? But it's about the grace of God, and it's available to everyone. Come freely, because Jesus Christ, he was tempted in all points, even as we were, yet without sin. The Bible tells us we can come freely to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Amen. So, folks, you ready to start doing some believing? 
Start believing right. Don't be afraid to ask yourself. Don't be afraid to dig in and say, you know, what I'm believing, is it really biblical? Is it really the word of God? And if my believing's wrong, I'm, I'm willing to change it. I am willing to change it and to experience the transforming grace of Almighty God. Praise God. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. We thank you for the spirit of grace that's on this place. We thank you, Lord, for an, an, a continual encounter with you that you are here. And, Lord God, for challenging us to, to be transformed by renewing our minds, by beginning to, to believe you. Our work is to believe you. So as we dig into the word of God, as we open up the scriptures, as we hear the word of God, Father, thank you that we are hearing truth and that, that, that truth is setting us free as we are capturing it, we're accepting it as truth. We're saying, I choose to believe the word. Let's make this confession together. Say, Heavenly Father, I choose to believe your word and your word only. Open my eyes to see and my ears to hear truth of the scriptures. I acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come to represent and to manifest grace and truth. I receive that today. I am being transformed. My mind is being renewed. I'm believing right. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.